This morning, uh, just for a warning, you'll hear probably, and you want to hope that I hear it, probably hear my wristwatch go off and let me know about 11.25 that uh, the dashboard light is indicating that it's time to land the plane. And then I'll land behind the table, which is where we're headed, and, um, and then uh, invite us to the table. You might say, why, why announce that? Well, because we're getting ready to go into the summer where we practice summer shorts, where we try to focus on a subject. And we focus with, um, we leave a lot on the, the, the cutting room floor as we focus, hopefully in the summer with all that we've got going on, that we'll be able to cut through some of the distractions and focus. But that will begin next week. So this week is practice. Uh, we're concluding a very, very long series in the Gospel of John. We've been in the Gospel of John for so many months now. And uh, I'm a little sad to see, see it end. But this morning we're looking at the epilogue, that is the, the final words and the, the, final, the closing of the book, the closing of the Gospel of John. And John has offered to us a perspective that it synchronizes with the perspective of the other gospel writers of Matthew and Luke and Peter. Peter, you say. Peter is the gospel writer of the gospel of Mark. And Mark is the amanuensis, or secretary as it were, who is putting to an uneducated Peter, is, he's putting Peter who was there, he's putting his his insight and leading of the Holy Spirit to pen and ink. And this morning, as we conclude, I want you to see that John, throughout his gospel, has been systematically transformed from a fiery disciple a man who was focused like a laser beam on truth. I am all about truth. But man, a man who has been transformed, not to ever move away from truth, but has moved to the balance of truth and love. In John's Gospel, he mentions the word truth over 40 times. It's one of his most important themes and emphasis. But he mentions the term love in his writings over 80 times. And so what we see is we see a man who, is, who has got the balance between truth and love. And this morning, I want us to observe, because I feel that it is the goal of the Christian life that we would identify with John, that John, as he is identified as the disciple whom Jesus loved, that we too would seek to bear that identity, that we too would be able to, with all confidence, say to a watching world, I am the disciple whom Jesus loves. Not to the exclusion of other disciples, Plenty of love to go around. But because I have internalized 
that truth, I have moved from a vague cloud of doubt. I think I'm loved. I guess God has to love me because of what Jesus did on the cross in my place. Because of the theology of substitutionary atonement. Christ died as a substitute for me. Then I guess God has to love me. And then we hold to these, but there's this vague cloud of doubt that this morning we would see movement so that the truth of Jesus' love for me and God seeing me also as the beloved, one whom Jesus loved would give me life. That I would move from the doubt, am I loved? Does he really love me? With my story, with my style, with who I am, and how can it give me life? Well, let's start this morning with this. Imagine that you're in a zoo. Okay? You have gone to this zoo, you've never been to a zoo before, and a good friend of yours, your best friend, your most loving friend says, I want you to experience the zoo. And so you enter the premises, and your friend is starting to guide you around, but you become, after a time, separated. And in looking for your friend, you become increasingly lost and disoriented. Finally, there is the map, like you see at a mall. The big, you are here map, with the big red star, you are here. And you look and you say, think heavens. Now I know where I am. And you look and you see this big red star saying you are here and it's in the lion pit. Boy, am I lost. But then you see a gold star. And miraculously that gold star says I am here. This is where your friend is. And to get from the lions to me, here is the path. Here is the path, and all along the way, I will speak to you, rather mystically, but I'm going to speak to your heart, as if I'm speaking from a great distance. But if you listen carefully and follow my voice, it will safeguard you around through the zoo to get back to me. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to tell you that John is identified as the beloved apostle. But he didn't start that way. John started out, we read in Mark 3, that when Jesus called the first disciples, that he called James and his brother John the sons of thunder. The sons who at one point, when a Samaritan village turned Jesus away, that they said, you want us to call down fire? Hey, call down some lightning. Let's scorch them. They're going to treat you like that way. We'll deal with them violently. We'll show them our strength. Sons of the... That was John, the beloved. He went during three years' time with Jesus, 
he went from being a son of thunder to being called the Beloved. There was a spiritual transformation. Wendy and I, I see it now as marriage counseling. At the time, it was set up as phone discipleship through World Harvest and their Sonship Discipleship Program. But I'm convinced that they said when they were assigning us a mentor that they picked a marriage counselor. And I can recall being on the phone. We were on the phone uh, every other week for 45 minutes, and we had homework assignments and things like that that we had to do. And um, in the course of the conversation, this conference call with Wendy and me and, and our mentor, he asked a question that stunned me. He said, Phil, <clears throat> how important is it for you to be right? Oh, truth. Very important for me to be right. Very, not me personally, mind you, but standing for the truth. He says, okay, okay, I'm with you, I'm with you. So when you and Wendy have a disagreement, how important, which is more important, that at the end of the argument, at the end of this conversation, that she sees you as right, or she sees you as loving. At the end of that conversation and that argument, how important that the other person see you as, they're right. I'll give them that. They're right. Or they were so loving. The Gospel of John shows us in these final five verses it shows us that John, the disciple that knew that he was dearly loved by Jesus, had moved from a position where he wanted to be right, where he stood on truth at the cost of love. And three years later, he has become a gospel writer whose whole theology is captured by the theology of love. You can see that particularly in his epistle of 1 John, as well as 2 John and 3 John. He also wrote the book of Revelation. But he moved not to a love that was some kind of surfy, sweet, anything-goes sentimentality, but it was balanced. Now, how did he get there? In the time that remains, I want to show you how he got there and I want to show you the expression of it and what it looks like. If you, uh, if you look first, I want you to see the wellspring source of my identity. Your identity springs. It has a source. You can be who you are because you're a poser and you, you have this image that you put forward because that's what your friends think. Somebody once said, I think it was James Dobson out of Focus on the Family, says, you're not who you think you are, and you're not who others think you are, you're who you think others think you are. Let me give it to you one more time. You're not who you think you are, and you're not who others think you are, you're who you think others think you are. Well, actually, with John, that could be true. 
Because in three years' time, this one who we see reclining at the supper tables in the dinner seating chart and arrangements with Jesus had come to be so convinced that Jesus thought of him in terms of love that he became that. He became the beloved because internally he internalized the truth that I am dearly loved by Jesus Christ. And that was only confirmed by his actions of dying in his place. And he said, that is now going to influence my external identity. I am the beloved. I know I am loved, and therefore my identity reflects that I am loved. When I was growing up, one of my chores on the farm, my dad had purchased a piece of property that adjoined my grandfather's farm, and my grandfather had a wellspring that fed the stream that our animals, our cows, uh, were, got their water from. And a wellspring is like a cistern. It's a you know, concrete uh, walls around the spring head. And it had a, a removable top, as it were. And, I was, and it's got about, uh, about two feet off the ground, there's a spigot or a spout. And it would fill up with cold, clear water and then it would come out that spout, and then that stream would go into the creek, but it would feed the source of water for the cows. And my chore, my responsibility, was to, on occasion, go and to open the top and remove the, the algae or the growth that would accumulate in it, and also to clean the pipe to make sure that it wasn't impeded. And my dad, to make sure that I was not doing it in just a cursory hit-and-miss manner, would ask me a question. He would not only ask me, have you cleaned the well? Have you made sure that the, the, the purity of the well is in place? But he would ask me this question, son, have you drunk from the well? While you were there, did you drink from it? Have you drunk from the well recently? And that was a very revealing question. Because it was important to him that I not only protect something and to keep it clean and to guard it, but that I actually participate. That I actually understand and I benefit from that cold water and that clear taste of, of spring water. John drank from the well source of the truth of Jesus' love from him. From him. Literally, where it tells us here in the scriptures, and this is a second conversation on the beach with Peter. And Peter saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, the one who had been reclining at table close to him. And that literally means heart to heart. Heart to heart at the table. Or another way to say it is ear to ear, because as they made their seating arrangements to lay on the tapestry and recline around the table, you can see in John 13 that John was the closest during the Last Supper to Jesus. And we believe that to be a frequent pattern. And that Peter, wanting to know who he's talking about betraying, would ask John. Because John had Jesus' ear. But also... Jesus' ear had John's mouth. 
and John's ear had Jesus' lips, such that they were at reclining at that table, those two hearts were knit together as John would listen to Jesus. And I believe that that gave him in part the balance that he would hear truth from those lips, but he would also hear love from those lips. He would hear pure truth, and he would hear pure love. And he would be able to speak to Jesus in turn. It's not simply a, a student here, but he's a, he's a learner, follower, who has intimacy with the Master. As we see this taking place, I would tell you that he wasn't afraid, I believe, to ask him anything. He did ask and he got an answer. He wasn't rebuffed in John 13. Are there things that you harbor that you would think are too shameful, too secretive, too on my own to ever share with Jesus? Don't fear a reply or a response. Don't fear the lips of Jesus. Don't fear what he will tell you. Now, it may be challenging, and it may seem initially a great sacrifice, or perhaps even a rebuke or a correction, but you'll hear it in such a tone of love that you know that this man, this Son of God, has my best interest in God's glory in mind. He loves me better than I love myself. The temptation of Eve had in it this, this design that Satan would say, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. You've got to look after yourself. But John heard again and again from Jesus' own lips as they would recline at that table that Jesus loved him that he was helping him to image the man that he was designed to be. And then secondly, note, so that, that caused him to begin to change. Now, be mindful that it's important that he hear these words, that he hear, as it were, that counsel, that in reclining with Jesus in an intimate place where he's safe, that he hear those words. He positioned himself to hear those words. And we see him doing that as he's following and Peter sees him. It says there in verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Because this disciple whom Jesus loved had been following them. It's as if Jesus has been restored to us now. Jesus is restored to me, and I don't want my schedule. I don't want other circumstances. I don't want interruptions. I don't want anything to come between me and following him. And follow is a synonym for obey. Follow is a synonym for putting my agenda and my, my plan aside to conform to his. And John is at this point now has arrived at this point to say, I want to be inseparable from him. Why? Because this man loves me and I love him. I 
am the disciple whom Jesus loves. And I don't want you to separate me from that that I love. And he is. He is inseparable. If you'll, now this is important. If you've got, if you've got your own Bible or if you've got it on an iPad or if you've got it on an iPhone, look to 1 John real quick. This is another letter that he wrote. If you look in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, and what I want to show you is which comes first? Loving God, then obedience, or obedience to God, and then over time you fall in love. David Benner, who wrote the book Surrender to Love, said, we can, without surrendering our love or surrendering to the love of God, obey. We can. But if you surrender to the love of God, if you surrender to be loved, you will most certainly obey. You will most certainly follow if you surrender to love. But you can follow, rather dutifully I might add, without surrendering to love. But notice here, in 1 John 1, the progression, obedience, right living, righteousness, holiness, being set apart for God, flows out of His love. Verse 3 of John 1. He testifies, he says, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son and Jesus Christ. He's saying, my intimate fellowship, my friends, my group is the Trinity. That's my team. That's who I follow. That's who I stay with. I stay very close to them. I have fellowship with them. Okay? If you'll look over to uh, verse 6 out of John 1. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth if I'm in fellowship with him if I'm in intimate relationship with the Trinity then I do follow I do walk after him there's flow look to uh, chapter 2 verse 7 notice that in chapter 2 verse 7 is the term beloved I am writing you no new commandment. Verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Chapter 20, I mean, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. He doesn't simply say, command, don't believe those idle spirits. Don't believe every spirit. He starts, beloved, beloved, beloved. Verse 7 of chapter 4, beloved, let us love one another. He doesn't simply command, let us love one another. Love one another. He says, start with the fact that you are the beloved. You see where I'm going? Have I emphasized it enough? You can go on to verse 11 of chapter 4. Once again, beloved, if God so loved us, 
we also ought to love one another. I want to ask you this morning, do you regularly recline? Do you regularly have your heart close to the heart of Jesus? Do you regularly recline with Jesus? Where do you recline? If you're not, can I invite you that Jesus is waiting for you to recline with Him? He has things He wants to tell you. And it will be truth, full of truth, and full of love. But it will start this way. Beloved, welcome. Let's talk. Share your heart with mine and hear my heart. John, the apostle, the fiery son of thunder, would become the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And you'll see there the expression of his story where he writes in verse 13, excuse me, where he writes in verse 24 that this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. What he is saying is, is I don't write and speak out of mere duty or following a command. This is my identity. And I am going to write all of this Gospel of John and then later the three epistles and later Revelation is all going to flow out of love. Now, time escapes me, but I do have a, uh, a book that I want to recommend to some of you. And uh, the book is called Compared to Her, How to Experience True Contentment by Sophie DeWitt. Listen as I read. This is because, you see, Peter has a problem. Peter has a different story, and he's very interested in John's story. All right, Lord, you're going to lead me down a martyr's path. What about John over here? What about this guy? Is it because you love him more and I'm still trying to get, you know, his security in the relationship with you? What about this guy over here? Sophie writes these words. Maybe for you, it's not other women in shops, but you'll still do that glance of comparison. It might happen in someone else's house or in the bar or on the beach or at the office or lecture hall or even at church if you go. We spend our lives making these sorts of comparisons, measuring ourselves against others. That's the sort of comparing that this book is about. And it's a compulsive kind of comparison. We keep on doing it. It's what I've labeled compulsive comparison syndrome. Why do we compare? It has to do with one of three motivations, she says. Number one, I want to know that I'm worthwhile. I want to know that I'm significant, that I'm important, that I have value. I want to know that my life is as good as it can be. I want to be satisfied. I want to know that I've got what I need in life. 
And more often than not, it's a mixture of all three. But I've got three copies of that book for those that are interested, but it's not just gender-related. It's not just a female problem of comparing herself to one another. Men certainly do it too. Peter is doing this to John. And what I hear Jesus say that he's not going to tell in John's story that has nothing to do with you, Peter. Focus on me. Concentrate on me. What I hear him saying very lovingly to Peter is this. Peter, I want you to see me seeing you. Peter, I want you to take your eyes off of other disciples and put them and leave them with me. And I want you to see my look of love. And I want you to take direction from me and not comparisons. In other words, Peter, see me seeing you and don't see me seeing other people. They have a part in this huge, grand, eternal love story of God reconciling men to himself through the great act of love of his son dying on the cross in our place. And every person here has a role. Every person, Peter, John, you're both out in the congregation today. John would go on to become a pastor of one of Paul's churches in Ephesus. John was the, he never died a martyr's death. He was the only disciple that did not. John would live into his upper 80s. He died somewhere around A.D. 98. He was the oldest living apostle. And it is said by Jerome in his biography that the apostle John became more and more loving yet truth-bearing with every passing year. Such that in his final years, he was frail. He had to be carried by a litter into the church in Ephesus. No longer pastoring, but he would be carried there for worship. And that he would only say one thing. He would say over and over again, little children, let us love one another. Little children, let us love one another. This fiery son of thunder had come down to simply one sentence, love, love one another. And they asked him, they said, why do, you, why do you have only that statement to say? And he says, it's a command of God, and to love others, we must hear him speak of his love to us. You are the beloved because you are dearly loved by Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven, and now you're received by Him to be a part of the story, and your life will reflect and share and relate the love that you've come to eternally, internally experience. You will show that externally to others. Peter would show it by bold proclamation. John would show it by quiet pastoring, teaching, writing, and demonstrating love. How will you 
reflected. You're valuable, you know. Others may seem to be in the limelight. I mean, you may seem to be in the limelight while others are on the stage. But you are unique in the way that you have made. And God comes to you and He says, you are my beloved. I don't love others more than you. I love you with the same gravity and depth and breadth of love I have for my own son. And now as my son and daughter, receive my love. And from that, we go forth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask, I do ask that there be no doubt that if we are followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, if we have surrendered to come under His death on our behalf, if we, with all of our confession, that we are unworthy as sinners, but we long to be so loved that beyond any shadow of a doubt, Holy Spirit, as if from the lips of Jesus, would you speak to our heart and speak but one word and say, Beloved. John could call his audience beloved. He could speak to the Christians in the church, Beloved. Because he heard that in his own heart. That he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. Father, I would be that disciple. And it's not upon merit. It's not upon works. But it's by the very strength of your love at work in our heart. So Father, I pray this day that if none know that love, that they would begin by reclining with you. And they would share their heart with you and you would respond, O oh Jesus, by speaking to them, by speaking of truth, of the ways to come after you that speak in love, for your longing for them to be with you. Father, I ask that you would further separate these elements now and use them for a holy purpose, that the bread and the cup would be used to strengthen in our inner heart both your love toward us and our love toward you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to invite our men to